0: Welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crissell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. This week we were joined by the American writer Kristen Rupenian. In December 2017, Kristen published a short story in The New Yorker. It was called Cat Person. It must now be one of the most read pieces of fiction ever to be published online because within days it had gone viral, provoking thousands of tweets and dozens of articles written in response. Its unsettling story of a first date gone wrong happened to tap into the conversation at the time around the Me Too movement, the way power is used in sexual relationships and the issue of consent. I spoke to Kristen for Grazia magazine recently about her new collection of short stories, You Know You Want This, and I was thrilled to speak to her again for today's episode for which she brought some very thoughtful and funny advice. Let us know what you think on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Grazia But for now, over to Kristen. So Kristen, it is an honour to have a viral sensation (laughs) here on the Grazia podcast. (laughs) So thank you very much for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me and calling me a viral sensation for the first time, I'm sure. So what is it like to write something that provokes as heightened and crazy a response as Cat Person did? Um, It
1: feels many different ways at many different times certainly it took me entirely by surprise so I was first kind of shocked and then for a little while slightly horrified and then I would say numb um (laughs) I I mean that is all within like 24 hours you know and then after that sort of moment of intensity it has been really exciting and I've it's been fascinating to see my writing reflected back to me in so many different ways by so many different people who often have like wildly different interpretations of what it means I feel like there aren't a lot of writers who get to see their own work reflected back to them with the kind of immediacy and intensity that I did so
0: absolutely because I think you know even with plenty of very good fiction people don't necessarily take to the internet and widely shed their opinions and responses in the way that they did, so like, what an insight.
1: Yeah, and, and that was something that I sort of had to figure out how I wanted to engage with, because certainly I want people to read my stories, but I don't know that I always do want to be sort of the recipient of unmediated, kind of passionate responses. I think that can be very disorienting, and just sometimes feels a little wrong. I'm like, oh, this is like your private experience in some way you're sharing this with the story and I don't have any part in it and so I've sort of spent a lot of the past year kind of trying to figure out what is my relationship to a readership especially an online readership where like opinions can be shared just so quickly and sort of so powerfully
0: yeah did it in any way make you feel like doing a kind of full Harper Lee and drawing up the drawbridge and not speaking to anyone. Oh, absolutely. I think about that all the time.
1: I still do. And I, and I realize I don't think I thought of myself as a private person before it all happened. And it's funny because like my stories certainly do not suggest that they are the work of a person who cares a lot about her privacy. But it turns out that when it comes to like my actual life, I really am. It's just like are. I, I realize there are things I don't want to talk about, things that I sort of need time to kind of think through before I want to share my opinions on them it's just a very different place
0: I'm in now than I was a year and a half ago and I'm still adjusting to it of course so now you've published you know you want this your collection which includes Cat Person and also lots more and I've read it and loved it and can Thank recommend you. it so now we can sort of get to know you a bit better and get to know your work a bit better with a little bit more context so what? how do you see Cat Person fitting into that whole and what do you think people will find when they read the rest of it?
1: Yeah I mean that was one of the funny things about the whole Cat Person phenomenon I guess is that for me the story had always existed in the context of this larger collection 12 stories that range actually really widely from, you know, stories that are basically realistic about sort of ordinary everyday interactions among people, even if those interactions are sort of unsettling or discomfitting, and moving then through towards a much more kind of fantastical sometimes even horrifying horror inflected um, into that space. And for me, I knew when everyone read Cat Person, I was like, oh, it's funny. Like People are going to think I'm a slightly different writer than I am. And it'll be a curious experience to find out how people who knew me first from cat person will approach these stories
0: yeah i mean i had no idea to expect that but there are certainly some strong kind of horror elements to the book which i think makes it a really exciting read also very creepy at times um (laughs) We spoke for Grazia magazine recently and you were saying that your interest in horror fiction has really come from childhood and from your mother. Yeah, uh, my mom was a huge Stephen
1: King fan, also a Dean Koontz fan, a fan of just pulp horror from as long as I can remember. And I, yeah, I mean, I followed in her footsteps like Halloween was my favorite holiday. <laughs> I loved scary stories, haunted houses, scary movies. I mean, I was just always kind of drawn to that kind of of storytelling in particular and it's funny because that's who I was as a kid and and as sort of a young teenager and then there was a period of time where I kind of wandered away from it and my my tastes returned to the maybe more literary sphere for a while and then there was this sudden kind of like intense outpouring or both like hunger to take in and then desire to to put out stories that
0: were like the ones in some ways that had drawn me as a kid yeah do you like the thought that your work might be making people feel quite uncomfortable while they read it I mean it's nice to have a reaction yeah I mean I guess the way that I always think of it is like the relationship between
1: the writer and the reader more almost than any other kind of media is like at every moment consensual, like you can always put a book down, you can always just, you know, decide, hey, this story isn't for me. And that matters to me. Like, I never feel like I want to make someone uncomfortable who hasn't sort of explicitly decided this is a space into which I'm ready to go. But once they've decided that that's something that they want, it's an experience that I'm really happy to provide, especially because as a reader, it's what I always want to feel. Not always, but like I'm often I'm hungry for for books that will shake me up and push
0: me into a place that I wouldn't otherwise be able to go yeah that's the magic of reading I guess isn't it that sort of challenge so okay let's get on with your brilliant advice Um, I think the first one is quite relevant considering what you've been through over the last year or so but tell me what it is
1: yeah sure so it's what other people think of me is none of my business it's sort of a like classic piece of common wisdom but I actually I hadn't come across it before like, last year, and I I wrote an essay recently for The New Yorker that essentially took that as its guiding theme, and it was about, um, I was prompted to think about it by the cat person reaction and how strange it was. I mean, I think, like, to think of it in terms of just, like, general day-to-day device, I think... I, as a person, and maybe specifically as even a younger woman, would have thought that that was nonsense. I thought that what other people thought of me was sort
0: of my primary
1: business, (laughs) (laughs) that my mode, my job was to like manage the idea of me that other people had.
0: Manage your brand. Exactly. Exactly. Which we're all doing these days.
1: Right. And like the impossibility of that and how like to some extent, at some points in your life, it does sort of feel like, oh yeah, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could make sure that most of the people I interact with on a day-to-day basis think what I want them to think of me. And then I think part of the process of getting older and just living life is recognizing how futile that is and how deeply kind of lost you can get when you take that as like something of primary importance. Because it's just, it's not that it's good or bad, it's just beyond your control, you know? And, and I had that, I felt like I had learned that lesson kind of well, you know, into my mid thirties. And then Caperson happening, like launched me up into a new stratosphere, Right. <laughs> Having hearing other people's unfiltered opinions of me. And it was terrifying and stressful, but also just like a good reminder that like on a smaller scale, you can't control it. People are going to think what they think. And the more you make it your business, the more you're likely to... Do
0: you think that experience has changed the way you tune into people's feedback maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, I've thought about how, like, you know, two years ago, if I wrote a story, and like, somebody liked it, what it meant that my professor, you know, would say, good job, maybe you should send this to a literary magazine. And if someone didn't like it, one of my friends would write me a slightly snarky letter. And now it's like, if someone likes one of my stories, I get a million dollars. And if someone doesn't like my stories, it's like, in the New York Times, they're like, this book is terrible. (laughs) You know, no pressure. (laughs) No, exactly. And it's just like, that is not actually a shift, I think, in scale that any one human can wrap mind around in a year so I'm still adjusting to it but I think I don't feel like it changed my perspective because I think I had started to get that perspective already that like people's opinions shift and there is never going to be a single consensus about
0: what your work means or what kind of person you are yeah so your your second piece of advice um swearing alert tell us what it is (laughs) sure Um, it's
1: fuck them if they can't take a joke and it was a british professor of mine who um said it to me and i whenever i hear it i hear it in his voice which i will not try to imitate but um yeah i actually don't think that's like it's not good universal advice like the, the, (laughs) the um i don't i'm not one of those kind of people who thinks like a joke at any cost like people's sensibilities who cares i'm not i'm deeply not but i think that having someone in your corner who, when other people's opinions start to press in on you, or when you're starting to take yourself or other people a little too seriously, he'll just like kind of come up to you and be like, Fuck him. Like, that is great. <laughs> That's like a deeply necessary kind of advice. And the people in my life who can do that are the ones that I like treasure. Yeah. Can you remember why he said that? Or is that top secret? It is top. I do remember and I will not tell you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make you feel better. It did.
1: It made me feel wonderfully better. And there have been like all of this other like great, sort of wise advice that like I just wasn't ready to hear. And what I needed was someone just be like, Fuck it.
0: Yeah, sometimes that really is the only thing that hits home. Okay, tell me about your third piece. So the third one is a quote from my dad,
1: which is why it doesn't make a lot of sense in context because there's a story around it. Um, But it's the most interesting people take the longest to bake, which is not an image that fully, I think, (laughs) comes together. Um, (laughs) But that's something my dad said to me when I was in my mid, maybe even late 20s, and I was sort of at the end of like an excruciating PhD with... No job prospects, no savings, really, no house, no, like, you know, just none of the trappings of external adulthood that I thought it was my business to acquire. And I was just so sure in that moment. And I remember that feeling being in the car with him and just knowing that I was doomed, like, just knowing that things were just kind of going to be terrible forever and that I'd made mistakes that were. Unequivocally, like inescapable, and I would just be living out their consequences forever. (laughs) I was in a place. And um, my dad said, kind of casually and also kind of like uncharacteristically, you know, my dad is also, I think, a fairly cautious person and is like a very sensible outlook mostly but said something along those lines in a way that just made me know that he had absolute confidence that I was wrong and that my life was going to turn out okay. And that, like, yeah, and that, like, he thought I was, like, interesting. And I think he thought, and I think it is true, too, that, like, there are a lot of different ways to live a good life, but one way is to live an interesting one. And those don't go in straight lines and they don't immediately connect maybe one stage to the other. It's not always clear why you've gone from one thing to another. And I think in the moment that can be so hard and so scary. And I think having someone who can take a step back, you know, see your life from a slightly different perspective and be like, it's not the end, you know, you're 26, you're 27. Like there's a lot more time and wherever you go, you're going to be the like interesting person you are and so it will probably end up in an interesting place like that really meant a lot to me in that moment and i think about it still like every time i'm like oh that's how my time in you know the peace corps paid off you know i didn't know for a while it was like i you know i screwed it all up it had no consequence and it takes 10 years sometimes i think to see where your experiences have have brought
0: you yeah also I think it's not always clear what your kind of life map is exactly while you're in the middle of it right you look back at it and it makes more sense but also I think we live in a culture where we really celebrate people who are very young and do something fantastic and there are I know in literature there are a lot of kind of Lists of right under five hundred thirty-five exactly, and it's like it's not less of an achievement if you write a fantastic first novel and you're forty-four or fifty-eight or seventy-five when it comes out. Yeah, it's not a race.
1: We're all gonna end up dead, you know. (laughs) Like no one reads a book from the eighteen hundreds and is like, you know what's great about this? (laughs) She was twenty-six when she wrote it. (laughs) No one cares. But like, it's real. I mean, it's hard, hard to keep that in mind. And I think it's sort of the job, sometimes, of older people to remind younger people. that like all of that kind of comes out in the watch
0: yeah yeah and it's a long game yeah
1: so your fourth piece of advice pain is inevitable suffering is optional which explain feels to me like (laughs) the kind of thing that should be like written on the wall of a gym like I feel like a little (laughs) embarrassed to share it this is not one that I feel like I can really identify the context specifically like it doesn't have exactly have a, a story alongside of it um But it does, with the sort of next one, feel like it has shaped the way I think about things a lot in the last few years, which is how much, how much like the stories that I was telling myself about my life were just stories and like how much suffering I was causing myself by thinking that, you know, I knew what various experiences meant and how I should behave and like I don't know I think like there's this idea that is also I don't know I think it's uh what apocryphally Buddhist. I have no idea if it's it actually is, but of like a second arrow where like you feel bad about something, right? You feel angry at your friend. And then there's the second arrow of suffering where you feel guilty about feeling angry about your friend. Where you feel like there's one way that you should be thinking and feeling. And if you're not that it's like that space that suffering really like kind of flows in and I find that really true and I feel like a lot of my stories are maybe in one way about that about the pain that comes from having an idea of who you are and what you should be and the gap that's between that idea you have of yourself and who you actually are and how much that can come to feel like a kind of hall of mirrors where you're just you're reacting to this idea that you, I mean, to go back to the first one, to like the idea that other people have of you being like that, the like compulsion to feel like your job is to create a person who's acceptable in the eyes of other people and how lost I feel like at my most lost moments, it was because I was like living in a world where like that was what was real and that was what was causing suffering as opposed to my immediate circumstances, which were often like not that bad, yeah, but they just felt unbearable because it was so different from the thing I thought I was should, supposed to be
0: so um not there's any reason why you should really know the answer to this but how do we not do that like what's the answer how do we avoid the suffering
1: despite the pain um that is the one of the great questions of human existence (laughs) and I'm not sure that I can give you an answer right now but I do think it's like it's partly humility right it's partly recognizing how little you know and also how recognizing that gap between the ideal and the real and slightly knowing like I am sometimes a like selfish angry jealous person and that makes me human not a nightmare monster. Yeah. Or, I not to beat myself up about <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly and also day. like the only way to change it is to acknowledge it. I feel like you can spend a lot of time in flight from the person that you are like trying so hard to be something else and I feel like there have been moments for me for sure where I've just sort of like given up the effort and just like nope this is who I am like (laughs) it's not ideal and I would like it to be different and I will do what I can to be different you know along the way but right here in this moment it's beyond my control to change myself and I'm gonna just live with that and try and figure out like maybe how I can limit the damage or like you know make the best of that
0: yeah so. you said it links in with your next piece of advice which is what's my part. what's my part
1: yeah I mean this is a thing that's another sort of common piece of wisdom it's a question that one of my best friends like kind of taught me to ask myself um she said something that I didn't put on my list of advice but which blew my mind when she said it and I still like continue to like come back to it and be like really or she's like no one I'm always like I said sort of casually like she makes me feel so mad and my friend was like no one can make you feel anything. And I was like, oh, what are wow. you talking about? We make each other feel things all the time. That's a fundamental like, human relationship is I'm making you feel something and, and she, you're making me. And, and she was like, nope, like I don't believe that. Like, so she's
0: saying you're making yourself feel mad. She's situation. like, you
1: have 100% of a choice about how you let the actions of others impact you. And I do think that's an extreme way to live in the world and there has to be kind of a balance. But I think... Approaching every situation with the idea that you are at least half an active partner in it, but probably not more, can actually really change the way you like engage in human interaction. I feel like this is getting like I'm getting slightly abstract or something, but, um, <laughs> but so no, yeah, I'm problem. trying to think of an example. So I guess like in cat person, like a lot of times what Margot is doing is she moves really rapidly back and forth between idea of like, I have so much power in this situation. He's completely head over heels for me. I am the one and I am the like beautiful girl that he's chasing and the reason he's behaving in the way that he is is because he's anxious around me, right? And that's followed very quickly with like, I'm trapped alone in this car. I might get murdered. Am I totally powerless here? Is he going to force me to do something or not? You know, which is like a kind of zero to 100. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like sort of pulling back and being like, I got myself into this situation. Like I had a part in creating it. But I also know that someone that I don't even know is like a fully invested participant. (laughs) And he probably also wants things and thinks things that are not, accessible to me do you know what I mean like to give up on her idea that she could completely mind read him and just be like he's acting in a way that I can't entirely understand
0: it's really about concentrating on what you what's within your control exactly exactly knowing
1: what's possible to know and like what you can control and learning to like let the rest go
0: yeah yeah okay (laughs) um your sixth piece of advice well I feel like this really undermines the whole principle of the show <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <carry> on <laughs> yep. um,
1: the sixth piece of advice is advice is futile which um, I I also I have been a deep and passionate lover of advice my whole life so I come from it <laughs> okay. with okay, love yeah, we forgive you exactly um, and I used to read all of these advice columns I don't know if people would be familiar with the website The Hairpin do you know I've that? heard of it yes. yeah so like that it's defunct now but it had a brief brilliant streak of advice columns and they were all anonymous and they were like you know ask a woman ask a man ask this person ask that person and I would read them avidly and then one day I remember it vividly the editor Edith Zimmerman posted something that was just the headline was advice is futile and she was just like basically like brilliantly spinning out where she's like no one can tell anyone else but to do or like profiting off of this deep insecurity where, like people want to like be told what to do in like the space of an advice column, but in fact, people come to advice columns when they already know what they want and they don't like it. They want to cheat, but they don't, you know, want to mm. want to, or they, oh, Well want they
0: want you to make them feel better exactly, about the fact that going exactly
1: exactly exactly. And so it was just such a like. I don't know, it's one of my favorite moments in my whole history of a uh, advice column reading which continued unabated after that. It's not like she talked me out of it and they kept running the columns, but I just liked it as a like moment of self-reflection where where it like kind of turned the mirror back on all of us as opposed to the people with problems and the people who are answering them. It sort of made me look and think like what is this Yeah, endless curiosity, both with people having problems and then other people sort of offering them solutions. Like, how fun is it to imagine that, like, the world might work in such a way that I could come to you with a problem, you would tell me what to do, and then I would do it, which never (laughs) (laughs)
0: happened. Yeah, I think actually, advice is a much less kind of linear thing than we like to imagine it as, and I think in general just taking what somebody suggests verbatim and just Mm -hmm. being like, well, now I'm going to do that is not a realistic or or healthy way of responding. But I do think it's advice can be very Mm thought-provoking and it can give you a new perspective yeah. obviously i would say all of this yeah since it's the whole point of the podcast <laughs> yeah. but.
1: but i don't know and i think it can be community building right i think friends often get really really close giving each other advice and i think that's something about that is like female friends in particular i Absolutely. think like a friendship can be built on like a bunch of friends giving each other advice about like other relationships, right? It brings the two people closer together whether or not the advice ends up working in them.
0: Yeah, and endless fun with that.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So that brings us to the worst piece of advice you've ever come across. Yeah. What is that?
1: And well, I guess I should say it's not the worst piece of advice I've ever come across because like all advice, I think it's about context. And so this is like the advice that I feel like led me in the wrong direction for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a period of time in, like, my mid to late 20s where I feel like every single magazine that I read or, like, person was giving advice, and also my mom, um, one of the great advice givers in my life, was just telling me relationships are hard work. Relationships are hard work. Relationships are hard work. And I was in a relationship at that time that had been going on for quite a while, and I... Like, I wasn't comfortable. Like, I I wanted to be, like, on paper. It worked perfectly. And I kept kind of coming up against these feelings that were, like, I don't want to be here. And instead of, I listened sometimes to those feelings. And then my mom's voice would come in, and it would be like, Kristen, relationships are hard work. Relationships are hard work. Relationships are hard work. And I used that piece of advice to essentially, like, beat myself into, like, an entirely different like understanding of what like what my own feelings meant and whether I should listen to them and like further and further into a life that like in fact like I wasn't going to be able to live and I think that kind of advice it's not that it's not true sometimes but I do think that like that's one of the dangers of advice is like it comes from the outside and like the thing that is in you that is all you can really know is how you're feeling and like where you are, you know, and nobody else can speak to that for you. And I will say that, like, there was nothing objectively wrong with the relationship, but it was the wrong one for me. Mm -hmm. And now having been in other relationships that were closer, it's just textually, it's profoundly different. Like the kind of hard work, which it also sometimes, you know, in ways is just feels less like, like, I think the model of work (laughs) that I had when I used to listen to that piece of advice was of like going to a factory every day you know putting in your hours and like you know doing the thing that where like in your heart you'd always rather be somewhere else but you put in your time god damn it because like somewhere down the line it was going to pay off and i think that the better model is something like i don't know, like gardening or like soccer practice okay. we're like yeah there's an end goal in mind but like the process of the work is also rewarding the feeling of like working at its best is like feels good it's constructive right work. yeah and it's like you're you are involved and invested in it and like even when you recognize it's hard there's a part of you that wouldn't rather be anywhere else yeah and like i didn't know that I, it wasn't anyone's fault it was just like i didn't have the kind of lived experience that would have helped me understand that piece of advice when it yeah. came to me
0: Well, so I feel like that's quite a hopeful note to end on in that relationships don't have to be like going to a factory every day. No, it can be (laughs) lovely.
1: Right, and should be, and otherwise aren't worth it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. All of your advice has been brilliant, and congratulations on the book. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Kristen, and do pick up her new book, You Know You Want This. If you like the Grazia Life Advice podcast, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it or sharing it. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to.